another major thing that I like to focus on is button copy specifically and make sure that instead of just using generic words like continue or next or submit, that you are using that copy as an opportunity to A, set the user's expectations around what's about to happen when they press that button and B, ideally also give them an indication around why it's good for them to move forward and do that thing. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, which is an online education platform for writers in tech. Today, I have two guests, very special guests. So Samuel Yulik and Johan. By the way, Johan, what is your last name? My last name is Kundas. Johan Kundels. And basically, I've been following uh, their work for years now. Uh, it started a few years ago when I first met the work of Samuel with useronboarding.com. A lot of fantastic teardowns related to user onboard, like basically how to onboard your users to your products in a better way. If you go to that website, you could see a lot of teardowns about how Apple Music, Asana, Basecamp, Dropbox, Duolingo, it's from long time ago already, but they are still pretty cool and sometimes funny and I really enjoy them and I learned a ton from them. And today they work on a really cool project named Value Path, which we're going to hear about in a few more minutes. That's about it. Samuel, Johan, how are you? Oh, Doing well. Good. Thank you for having us on. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it's wonderful cool. to be so, here. Thank you so much. for. So let's start with some background. So uh, Johan, how did you get into this field? One of the first companies I worked at, I started out in marketing, but I got recruited into the user onboarding team to work on onboarding. And the minute I discovered the space, I, I loved it because it's cross-functional and there's always more nuance to discover. It was old enough to have a ton of insights already, but new enough that those insights were still developing when I got there a few years ago. And of course, I discovered Samuel's work and like you, fell in love with it <laughs> and became a huge fan. As we started asking onboarding questions, I put some content out there that, that Samuel discovered actually way beyond the point of working in that current company's onboarding. I just kept thinking about onboarding even after I left and Samuel and I started talking and that's how we started working together. Very cool. I see that you have also the Value Pass podcast. So what is that about? Right. <laughs> so Value Path is a system that we're working on together, a system for designing, measuring, and ultimately delivering outcomes that benefit both the user and the business. So we see, is, is that a fair summary, Samuel? I, I was actually just silently shaking my head or nodding my head over here. So yes, I was like, oh, you, I thought you put that quite well. <laughs> so thumbs up. <laughs> we see that there's oversight sometimes in the alignment between user outcomes and business outcomes. Usually they're treated as two separate things. And what we're trying to do is align them better and come up with a system for marrying them together, really, so that improving one results in improving the other. Yeah, we ultimately believe that users pursuing meaningful outcomes in their own lives 
is what literally drives engagement and drives them to not only engage with the product, but also pay for it as customers. And so it also drives revenue. And we feel that if you look at the outcomes that people are commonly seeking with your offering, when they're going to you, what are the things that they're going to you for help with and get really good at it helping them achieve that, that that's going to have a positive impact, not only on their lives, but also on your revenue. Right. So I, I really loved the, how you progressed from user onboarding, which is very specific part of the experience of the end user to the value path where you just look at it as a whole as a, how to improve basically the business through that type of experience, which make a lot of sense because at the end of the day, you can create the best onboarding experience out there, but uh, if you haven't measured your churn uh, two months after, there it doesn't matter how great the onboarding is because maybe all of the users didn't get the best first impression because it wasn't aligned with the business values or the business offer. So I definitely understand how you evolved to do what you do today, and that and I think that's a smart idea. You bump into a lot of these business strategy questions when you're working on onboarding. How is this going to translate into better retention? How do you deliver the first quick win of the value proposition? And they're not marketing questions. They're not product questions. It really comes down to the business model in a sense. So it's a natural progression, I think, value paths from user onboarding. In, in some ways, I like to put it that if you want to use a to-do list as part of your onboarding experience, it's a lot more important to focus on what the person, what the to-do list has the person doing rather than does the to-do list have bold typeface or regular or rounded corners or, you know, is it in the left side or the right or things like that. So get the thinking of your business model as being predicated on helping people achieve particular outcomes by a choreographed sequence of actions is where we're coming from. And then and using that as a lens to reevaluate your entire offering from the value propositions that are being presented from your marketing department, all the way through your user onboarding experience, your core product experience, customer support, customer success, etc. Ultimately, you really want all of those people pulling in the same direction because to the user, it's all one user experience. And so you really want them aligned around what the user is trying to do because that, that, that way it works out best for everybody. To me, it makes a lot of sense in a way that uh, like the insight that I get right now is that the better the UX writer or the content designer or the person that is in charge of the words of the interface, uh, the more he knows about or she knows about the business and the business goals and the, what's the business model, the better the experience is going to be in a way that it's going to align with the business values and user needs and everything is going to be communicated in much better way. The best UX writers I know are UX writers that kind of get the, the business. So that's a, a really good point there. 
That's a great way of summarizing the big insight. If I could draw a distinction here to explain the unique position that UX writers are in, UX writers and product marketers together, it's very often the case that product decisions are based on or drawn from the business's timeline. So based on what competitors are doing, based on how far the business has progressed, whether they've reached product market fit, whether a new round of funding is coming up, there's that whole business timeline on the one hand, and product decisions are, are drawn from that timeline. But in value parts, what we're seeing is care about and focus on the timeline that your users are on. They are seeking a particular outcome for themselves. They have uh, come to you for help with that particular outcome. And how much attention are you paying to how that at, how that outcome actually comes about. Do you know the path between where users are at the moment when they come to you and the target situation they're seeking, the outcome that they're seeking? Do you know how this initial situation turns into the one that they're seeking? That's completely different from the business's timeline. And UX writers and product marketers in particular are in this unique position of having to translate between the business's timeline and the user's timeline. So the business will build a feature because, you know, they, a, a new round of funding is coming up and they believe that this feature will uh, do X, create X amount of business value. That feature is then handed over to a product marketer or a UX writer, and it's their job to then make it relevant in the user's timeline. They make it relevant for the outcomes that they're seeking. And it's a tough job if you don't know, if you aren't familiar with the business model and what users are coming to the business for and how they're planning to use the product to pursue the outcomes that they're interested in. Yeah. One thing when I think about UX copy or conversion copy, which ideally are probably, uh, there's at least some overlap in the Venn diagram between those two. I'm a believer in, in the notion of clear being better than clever pretty much across the board. And <laughs> for, for me, it's really a question of if you get, a, if you do away, if you kill your darlings and, and, and don't focus on making clever copy, but instead focus on being really clear, then you have to be really clear on what is actually relevant to the user and what they're trying to do so that you can put it in a clear fashion to them and reflect that back to them. So it requires a lot more mental work to, get, to be clear than to be clever. Uh, but I think that, that that mental work more than pays for itself in terms of better performance. Right. And I know that you... Uh, guide many, many different uh, SaaS uh, companies with uh, your growth coaching service and also you have the super outcome uh, research. So let's say that we have people in the audience that would like to help their organization with their value path or even people that would like to reach out to you for some research work. So what would be your processes like when trying to put clarity above clever? Johan, would you like to take this one? Yeah, absolutely. Thinking about process, I think you'll find this in both our services. Our focus is on, like Samuel said, getting super clear 
on what exactly it is that users are pursuing. And a lot of times this is expressed in vague terms, you know, like the value proposition itself will be vague and it will be more of a theme than a tangible, discrete moment in which users can recognize that they're better off. So taking that vague value, quote unquote, and expressing it in concrete terms would be our first step. And what we find is that product design or what in our framework we call path design because the product is just one part of the path between where users are and where they want to be. In path design and in UX writing, getting really clear on the outcome that is driving the engagement is the first step to making clear suggestions about about the path. So when a user is in a particular moment in their timeline and they've got a next step in front of them, the better you can tie that step back to what they're trying to do, whether you do this with design or whether you do this with copy um, or whether you do it with a feature, the better you mm-hmm. can understand where they want to be, the better you can communicate and help them at that moment in the timeline. All right. So let's say, for example, right now, that I have an imaginary SaaS product. That SaaS product is a subscription uh, tracker. Okay, so I have a lot of SaaS subscription like Netflix and Spotify and uh, ActiveCampaign and MailChimp and Teachable, right? And I have a SaaS product that helps people to, the users, to kind of uh, track all of the different subscriptions that they have. Okay, so this is their end goal to track their subscriptions. Right now, this is an an imaginary product. We're just launching. We don't have any users. It's pretty bad. So what would the processes be like for a product like that, for example? Well, like where would you start? And this is an imaginary product. It's not the client or anything like that, of course. The first thing that, what, like speaking of of getting really clear on what on what's compelling the user to engage with the offering to begin with, I would I would actually push back a little bit on the idea that people are there to track their subscriptions. I think that tracking their subscriptions is probably an, an instrumental effort on their part to arrive at other more meaningful outcomes like saving money, avoiding yes, spikes in, in, you know, overdrafts or to, you know, make sure that they are keeping their eye on their cable bill and they're not, you know, inching it up or things like that over time. I'll talk about my personal issue. So my personal issue is that I just have a problem to track. I have like 30 different subscription and I find like mm-hmm. a charge that I didn't expected because I just was, you know, I have ADHD. I'm all over the place. I don't have like an organized right. Excel sheet. And if I had like right. a notification that will tell me, hey, we're about to charge you in five days. Would you like to reconsider this service? I would probably appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And so, so from that standpoint, you can always think of one example that we use is going to the dentist where nobody really enjoys going to the dentist, but dentists still have customers because there's a bigger compelling reason that drives somebody to go to the dentist. They want to get rid of a toothache or they want to have a brighter smile or different things along those lines. Or prevent the toothache. It's also... uh, Yes, or ideally, yes, not even have the toothache to begin with. But And so for us, there's an importance in distinguishing between the process of going to the dentist, 
which is important, but it's not inherently motivational. The thing that's really motivational is people getting to that bright smile or getting to feel like they are on a path that that won't result in toothaches or things like that. And so for for us, we would look at the hypothetical product that that we're talking about here. And Johan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the very first thing we would start with is what is a KPI that we can use to measure success on in, in our users' terms? Where are they here to save money? Are they here to avoid overages? Are they here to just have them all collected in one place? What is the thing that's driving them? And then let's use that to get, let's get really clear on, even from just a, a copy standpoint, and then build out the service around helping people achieve each step that they need to get from where they currently are to where they're hoping we will help them get to. Right. So tracking subscriptions as an outcome probably serves a bunch of these different bright smiles, right? Tracking, tracking subscriptions could help you feel more in control of your subscriptions. You know, you know what you're subscribing to. You, you probably get notifications before you're charged for something. Right. But tracking subscriptions as a design tool, it's a one size fits all kind of outcome, you know, in the sense that of the different things that people are using tracking subscriptions to unlock in their lives, by focusing on tracking subscriptions, you're missing out on creating parts of value to these specific intangible outcomes. Like if someone, let's say that, that 80% of the people who come to this tracking subscription tool want to track subscriptions because they want to avoid those overcharge fees. If you don't know that and you've got the blinders on and you're focused exclusively on tracking subscriptions, you're missing out on supporting the people who are using tracking subscriptions to unlock no overcharge fees. You're, you're losing out on supporting those people better. And, and our idea, our thesis actually, is that if you can identify which of the many outcomes the tracking subscription supports, which are the ones that are actually creating the most business value for you? If you can identify that, you will be able to support those outcomes better inside the app and outside of it and with copy and with design. And the better you can actually create that support structure, the better you will be able to monetize that particular outcome. So you, you see the, do you see the connections between tracking subscriptions and these bigger, what we're calling beneficial outcomes that users might be pursuing? I, I think we could get a, even a little bit more practical here and, and use this example even on a more granular level. If you're thinking about how to deliver value to your signups and not just leave it up to them to hopefully they align the right features and actually can get value for themselves out of it, but instead are, are taking a more active role and trying to help people make progress in what, what they're coming to you for. If, for example, we identified that a major compelling factor for people with the subscription tracker is that they want to run their company as efficiently as possible and they want to operate with as little overhead as possible and they just they want to kind of you know keep their margins 
nice and I don't know if tight is the right word, the opposite of loose margins, I guess. I don't know if that doesn't sound <laughs> good either, but <laughs> like maybe they just really want to optimize their unit economics. Yeah, like have a, I like to say in Hebrew, like thin operation, like keeping the operation thin and uh, profitable. Yeah, exactly. And so if you identify the fact that that's a major motivational factor for the people who are coming to your product and who are representative of your best customers or a significant portion of your customers, then you could think of things like, hmm, I bet there are a lot of these SaaS companies that put out promo codes every month where, you know, maybe Airbnb or Netflix or so on and so forth, maybe not Netflix, they're they're more sophisticated than that, but maybe you could auto apply promo codes uh, across your entire user base for anybody who subscribed to X for the September promotion or something like that. And so if you were looking at it as in terms of a product with a one size fits all experience, you might not be thinking of a feature like Let's go find the the discount codes or uh, this is kind of a corny idea. It's just off the top of my head. But these sorts of things can are aligned with helping unlock value for your users that aren't necessarily restricted to the confines of what a product or a feature of a product would be. You're just in the trenches fighting on their behalf, scrapping however you can. I see. I see. So giving your customers and your users value and using the product as you know a structure so that's smart so i definitely get where you're coming from because like a lot of ux writers i know and content designers never talk about like in-app monetization and like getting the best out of your customers and so on but aligning the writers in the organization to these values can create so much better business and so much better experience at the end of the day for the customer. So I definitely understand what you've just said. And so let's say that I'm working as a UX writer right now, or a content designer in a SaaS company, in a product team. And, you know, we have also a marketing department and they, each are, they are in charge of all of the promo codes. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I want to create something big, like Samuel just said, but the company don't see it as I do. So how can I, you know, uh, quote, sell this idea to my company if I'm not the owner of those specific parts of the products, if that makes sense? We are figuring that part out for ourselves too, because, you know, we're increasingly aware of the fact that in a company, there are these silos where if you want to break out of them, it requires, it requires a change of mindset at the top You know, it requires a change of mind at the top of the hierarchy rather than the bottom. And that's a difficult thing to deal with. But that's that's what I was going to say, Samuel. What did you have in mind? I was I was thinking that the most compelling case that I could make would be one with data, especially data that's connected to revenue. So if you're able to do a little guerrilla work and 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 be able to even pull up some data around the delta between the performance of customers who achieve valuable outcome x versus the performance of well or signups who achieve outcome x versus the signups who don't and show that there's a major difference in the the lifetime value conversion rate retention rate cac payback so on and so forth uh, i think that that would ultimately be meeting the executives where they already are, which is focusing on 
those sorts of metrics and saying, showing them that you're reverse engineering your work from the things that impact the company at the most fundamental level. I think that's a really great point. And even if you do this on a small scale, like just an experiment that leads up to let that goes from sign up to the first revenue event, which is trial to paid conversion, like that could be a really small scale experiment that you could run that could tie changes in UX copy or design back to revenue. So think about influencing a particular revenue event. And this might not be plausible, but if you can, for a certain segment of users, create a different experience and see what happens. Yep. That's what I was just about to say as well, as far as being able to identify which people are desiring which different outcomes and be able to customize or personalize their experience in the same way you might customize an experience around a demographic segment. Here it would be more of like a motivational segment. But the number one recommendation there, especially if you are trying to do this in a way that doesn't have a lot of organizational leverage behind it, is to start with copy. So I, I don't mean to pander to the audience here, but my, my very first recommendation would be think about how you can segment by different things that people are looking for rather than segmenting by different kinds of people. And the very first way that I would go about personalizing and trying to increase the conversions of those different segments would be to change even just simple things of just find and replace. And, you know, instead of saying, you know, improve your relationship with your accountant, it could say, and, you know, make sure you're, you're running a tight company in your terms or things like that. So copy is easy to develop as contrasted with like a calculator or some sort of tool or something like that. So that's one of the biggest things that I like to look at. And and while we're talking about it, another major thing that I like to focus on is button copy specifically and make sure that instead of just using generic words like continue or next or submit, that you are using that copy as an opportunity to A, set the user's expectations around what's about to happen when they press that button and B, ideally also give them an indication around why it's good for them to move forward and do that thing. Continue, submit, things like that really don't succeed on either level. And, and that to me is always, always, always a copy opportunity that can punch above its weight class. Yeah, that's, uh, I couldn't agree more, you know, uh, showing people what's coming up next and giving them a bit context. I also, per, on a personal level, I like to give them an indication about where they are in the process. So it will, you know, reduce a bit their cognitive load. So they would be like aware of like how many steps left and so on. And then the button copy just indicates what is the next step. And that creates a really great user experience, in my opinion. Yeah, that's exactly the, when we were talking about clear versus clever, instead of trying to come up with clever button copy for crappy actions, just make a good sequence of actions and then be clear about why they're good. So it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog a little bit, but that's exactly where we're coming from. Amazing. You just reminded me, I just uploaded some posts on Upwork lately, and I saw that they gave me indications in the buttons about the next steps, which they didn't have until not that long time ago. And I thought that uh, they did well with their content design and UX writing. So it just uh, reminded me that. Pretty good. All right. Shout out Upwork. Shout out to Upwork, uh, UX writers and content designers, if you're listening. So you did a great job. 
Okay, cool. First of all, thank you so much for jumping on this call today. Now it's the time when we kind of think together, how can we name this episode? And I have a lot of interesting ideas here related to like improving the business value for writing and so on. But I love to hear your thoughts if you want to share them, of course, about what do you think should be the name of this episode? What do you think, Samuel? My current thinking is writing for win-wins because ultimately what you want to do as we've as has come up a number of times in this conversation is look to align incentives as much as possible on a business model and org level and that resolves a, a significant amount of the friction and conflict that you encounter as a UX writer. I was thinking along the same lines as well. I was thinking I also thought, uh, yeah. benefit-driven copy. Benefit Ooh, driven I like copy, that. Uh, writing for the value path, maybe something like that with the, with the, you know, with the uh, blink blink for your name might be a really cool idea as well. Yeah, <laughs> or writing a path to value. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I like that too. Or also like taking your past idea, similar like writing for the business and users wins or something like that. We'll figure it out. We have uh, an idea. I like the last idea with including the value path as well. And that's about it. Thank you for jumping to this call, Johan, Samuel. It was uh, a lot of fun chatting with you. I was looking forward to this meeting for many years. So thank you for that. I'm a big fan uh, of your work and uh, I'm looking forward to see what you're going to come up with. I will uh, share a link to your work also in the show notes. If people want to find you, uh, where would be the best way to do that? We are still operating at useronboard.com, which features the teardowns and patterns and onboarding insights that you referred to earlier. And you can also now start finding us at valuepaths.com as well. Amazing. Yes, I'm checking this website right now. It's a really cool community. The structure of the website is pretty cool. You have like the podcast episode over there, references, the key concepts of creating path of value, contact with the team. Uh, I said already the podcast and also all of the different uh, business offers that looks pretty awesome if you are interested in that. All right. So thank you uh, very much, Johan. Thank you for Samuel. having us, Yuval. Thank you so much. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, the listeners, for joining us for another episode of uh, Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, online education platform for UX writers, content designers, content strategists, and basically writers in tech, people that are in charge of product writing. In our website, you could find a blog, you could find a job board for writers in tech, and also a free UX writing course. So if you're interested in that, just Check it out. It's pretty good. We invested a lot of resources in order to do that. And uh, also, you can join our paid UX Writing Academy if you're interested in that. But first of all, try our free course and let us know how was it. That's about it. See you next time. Bye.